Blog Talk Radio. Swing it Welcome to the Bless You Boys podcast for January the 17th in the year of Dombrowski 2015. I am your host, Hookslide, and if you're joining us for the first time, the Bless You Boys podcast is a feature of the Bless You Boys website. You can find us online at blessyouboys.com, on Twitter at Bless You Boys, and on Facebook, just search for Bless You Boys. So I am really excited for today's show. I've got two great guests with me in the virtual studio today. And, uh, guys, we're going to get a little bit nerdy this morning. First off, a return guest, friend of the podcast. We've got uh, Tigers play-by-play announcer on radio, Dan Dickerson, with us. Dan, how is your off-season going? It's going very well. Thank you, Hook. I really enjoy the time. Uh, I mean, a little extra time is, is always a good thing. We still have kids at home. My son's a junior in high school, and uh, sure, it's always great to go deep into the postseason, but it's really given me a chance to kind of get organized, and I'm a Pack rather just kind of lets things pile up during the season, and this allowed me a chance to get organized, think about some things, and think about the kind of things you want to talk about during you know, the broadcast coming up in the season. So it's been pretty relaxed and uh, very enjoyable. All right, that's good to hear. And then also joining me, another return guest and friend of the show, writer for uh, Fangraphs and Beyond the Box Score. I'd like to welcome Neil Weinberg back to the show. Neil, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Hook. How are you? Doing just fine. Trying to stay warm, anyway. <laughs> hey, I understand you're keeping busy in the off season. I am, yes. Uh, aside from all of the baseball-related activities, I'm getting you know ready for a move back to Michigan uh, and starting a new job in February. So while I'm ready for baseball to get started, I will at least be busy until uh, until opening day comes around. And that is fantastic. We will be looking forward to having you back in the, uh, in the land of all good things, baseball. You can find our guests online. If you want to look for Dan Dickerson online, you'll find him on Twitter at Dan underscore Dickerson. And then Neil Weinberg on Twitter at NeilWeinberg44. Also at uh, thenewenglishd.com and also on Fangraphs and Beyond the Box Score. So let's get down to business, talk a little bit about uh, about some Tigers baseball. And uh, Dan, I think we'll start with you. Um, you know, last year the bullpen was kind of the, the, the sore thumb especially with uh, with Joe Nathan being kind of the focal point of that uh, sort of collapse. And uh, going into 2015, I'm just kind of curious to hear from both of you, but uh, what should we anticipate seeing from Joe Nathan? Can he regain some of his former dominance, or do you think he's closer to losing the closer's job by, by July? I think, um, I mean, probably closer to losing it based on what we saw. I mean, I'm always willing to believe that things can change, I just think that we saw a lot of inconsistency. There was that period when he changed his arm angle, kind of midsummerish. I think it was late July. 
might have been earlier than that. But anyway, there was some success that followed that. I remember the first outing, he struck out three Kansas City Royals, a team that doesn't strike out much in his outing. The, the slider was sharp. Several weeks of the slider was sharp. It seemed like the slider obviously was the key pitch for him. And it was just very inconsistent. Um, and I, I do think that wears on a team. It, to me, it's one of the great debates in baseball uh, the, the team doesn't need, quote-unquote, a closer, and yet when you have a closer who struggles, it does impact the rest of the team and especially the bullpen. I think if you have a lockdown guy, it does make things better, and it can make the bullpen overall better. The, the key to me is how do you decide if a guy who is 40 coming off, I mean, an off year, I don't think the Tigers are making any bones about that, how do you decide in spring training that he is the guy. I mean, I think you're probably going to go into the season unless he's just awful in spring training. Um, if he gets people out, he looks okay, he'll go into the season as a closer, and then you're going to find out during those first you know, few weeks. Um, and I, I can't imagine it's going to go a whole lot longer than that if he's struggling, whether he's the guy. I think the difference this year, you have that guy in the eighth inning who can step in and be the closer and is a very good closer. He was not healthy with the Tigers, but Joaquin Soria can step into that job, and I do think that changes the equation a little bit. And I, I think Dave Dombrowski has made no bones about it. I mean, he, Joe Nathan's a closer, but he has to – I can't remember the exact wording, but basically show yes. that he has earned that job in spring training, and I, I thought that was significant. I think the Tigers know exactly what they had last year and know that it has to be better this year. Yes, yes. You, you mentioned that quote from Dombrowski that I was going to – uh, you know, kind of bring that up as well. That uh, I thought he was very forthright about saying that Joe Nathan is our closer, and yet, well, again, you said the exact quote was, you know, it's basically it's it's his job to lose, but he has to show us and continue to right. do that. Do you see uh, Joaquim Soria being that that sort of fallback option then? I do, I do. I mean, he he's terrific. I I, I kind of uh, I'm a little puzzled by people who say you know his fastball is low ninety. It's always been low ninety. <laughs> that's where that's where he's been with his fastball. Uh, so it's not like he's lost a ton of velocity. This guy's extremely effective, and he was, what, 40 walks, four strikeouts at the time of the trade. I think the oblique uh, maybe was – he had maybe an oblique at the time of the trade, but clearly was not the same guy right off the bat, and then he went on the DL. Uh, I, I have great confidence in him. He's 31 years old. His, his proven track record is, is pretty impressive. Uh, I'd be very comfortable uh, with him as a closer if that need uh, arose. Yeah, yeah. And Neil, I wanted to get uh, your opinion too on this. Um, I saw recently that uh, Steamer has projected that the Tigers are going to be the fourth best team in baseball in terms of the, the amount of runs scored per game. Um, looking at the lineup and some of the pieces that have been removed from it and added to it, and you know, Yuana Cespedes coming in and Iglesias being back, this sort of thing, Torrey Hunter not being a part of that. Do you feel like the Steamer's projection is accurate? I mean, is this a team that's going to score more runs, less runs? What do you think? I mean, I think that's in the right ballpark, certainly. You know, they're, you know, top three or four offense in the American League going into next season. You know, if they're fourth, if they're fifth, you know, whatever. It's it's in the right ballpark. You know, we make a lot of some of the pieces they've lost. You know, their biggest hits have been in the rotation, certainly. Um, but any lineup that has Kinsler, Cabrera, Martinez, Martinez, and Cespedes, you know, that's a huge, uh, you know, front half of that lineup. And Alex Avila, you know, for the for the you know hits he takes for his batting average, you know, he's a good offensive piece with his on base percentage and his slugging. Uh, I think Castellanos is going to grow. You know, you've got speed, uh, you know, in guys like Ghost and and Davis, and you know Iglesias. You know, he's he's a glove first guy, but he's not going to be a zero at the plate. 
you know, a little bit better than they had a shortstop. This is an offense that's going to score runs, I think. I think they're going to have more difficulty preventing runs uh, rather than scoring runs going into next year. But, you know, Red Sox, Blue Jays, Angels, you know, those are the kind of teams I'd look at to maybe score more runs than the Tigers in the American League. Uh, but otherwise, you know, this is a this is a good offense and a good park for their kind of offense, um, and I think they're going to do just fine as far as scoring runs is concerned. And let me just kind of branch off just a bit there because you said something about the run prevention being kind of the, the bigger problem. And oddly enough, I would have said that that's the thing that got better in 2015 with the return of Jose Iglesias at shortstop, adding that defensive piece. Uh, certainly, Seth put us in left field as kind of an improvement defensively over Torrey Hunter. So what's what's your concern in terms of their run prevention? Well, I mean, obviously, the, the defense got better. There's no question about that. They did vastly improved their outfield defense, and Iglesias is you know, definitely going to be a step up from what they played as shortstop this year. Um, but you lose Max Scherzer and you lose Rick Porcello. You don't know how is going to continue to age. Uh, you know, the pitching staff is just not going to give them the same kind of uh, opportunities to prevent runs the way they did in 2012, 2013, and a good part of 2014. So certainly you're going to have fewer balls dropping in the outfield than you did. Uh, you know, as a percentage, but there's going to be more balls put in play, more balls knocked around. And it's not like they have a lights-out amazing defense. You know, they've got a few really good defenders at a couple positions and a few guys who are okay, a couple guys who are not so great. You know, it's not going to be a disaster, you know, like it was at, at times last year, but there's definitely going to be issues with keeping some runs off the board as, you know, the starting pitching depth is not what it once was. You've got a couple guys in the back of rotation unproven or maybe much less proven than some of the other guys, and then the depth behind them is really, you know, uh, is pretty is pretty lacking when you look at the starting rotation. Uh, the kind of guys they might have to call on with an injury or two. It's gonna be it's gonna be a little less formidable than it has been in the years past. Okay, so you're saying that that's that interesting is more because, on the pitching rotation. Go ahead. No, I'm saying that's an interesting point about the rotation. Probably a little um, few more runs allowed, but I, I do think that defense quietly is in one area where, I mean, if you look at you know the total defensive runs saved, they were by baseball and post solutions. They're what minus sixty, which you could argue is about six wins. And I mean, if you get back to somewhere close to just average, which I think is really possible. I think you know I think the two keys probably if you're going to do that. Uh, would be Ghost in the center, and those who watched him in Toronto said that he can go get it just about as well as anybody. Uh, and he's 24 years old, and I think more than any other position, center field belongs to the young, meaning 27, 26, and younger. Uh, so, I mean, if he, a guy who patrols center field at Comerica Park and takes away the extra base hits, to me, is just an incredibly valuable piece. Austin Jackson did it early in his career. As he got older, he was less and less of an impact center fielder, I would say. And then Castellanos at third, I mean, I didn't think he was a minus 30. <laughs> that's what baseball <laughs> Insult Solutions had of that. I mean, I, that's astounding to me that somebody could be that low. Um, I thought he was below average, but that that's really about as bad as it gets. I mean, if he improves, I mean, it sounds funny, to a minus 15, which is where Cabrera was the year right. before. And Ghost is as good as, people in Toronto say he is in center and Cespedes in left and the other key is Iglesias is short. I think Iglesias makes Castellanos better just by his presence. Um, uh, right. you, you could get back to you could get back to average, meaning zero runs saved. Um, and that's arguably five or six wins right there. So I, I think it could be a huge improvement. There are some yes. There's no question about it. I mean Iglesias just put on plastic spikes to take ground balls in the last week or so. I mean 
he still has to prove that he can do all the baseball activities that they expect him to be able to do. But my goodness, I'm not sure I've seen a <laughs> He's one of the most exciting yeah, stuff yeah. I've ever seen. In just the brief time he Absolutely. was with the Tigers, I can't wait to see what he could do over, let's just call it 125 or 130 games and, uh, and the impact that could have on the defense. Yeah, a lot of us are definitely looking forward to the return of Jose Iglesias. He was so much fun to watch in 2013. We are talking with Dan Dickerson and Neil Weinberg here on the Bless You Boys podcast at blessyouboys.com. Let's go back to the uh, the offense. Now, Dan, I wanted to ask you, I know you're kind of into the advanced metrics and so forth. I'm very curious to hear how you would order that lineup for optimal results. Where do you put Cespedes? Where do you put J.D. Martinez? Does Kinsler bat last? Does Iglesias lead off? How, how would you construct that if you had your, your druthers? That's a great question. I mean, I kind of like Kinsler in the two spot, but that really leaves you without a, a number one guy. So, I mean, it's probably Kinsler leading off. And if Iglesias is healthy and uh, I love his ability, I mean, to drop a bunt and get on with a bunt base hit, uh, it increases, obviously, his ability to get on base. I mean, would you put him at number two? I don't think Ghost has shown that he can, so far at the major league level, hit enough to hit in the two spot. I mean, that two spot, to me, is kind of standing out right now, uh, assuming that Kim was in the leadoff spot. I mean, you could put – I mean, it's either Ghost or Iglesias, it would appear, to me, unless you want to bump everybody up and have Cespedes hitting fifth. But to me, it would be, let's say, it's right. Kinsler, Iglesias, Cabrera, Martinez, Martinez, J.D. certainly has earned staying in the middle of that order. And Cespedes yeah. at number six, which I don't think is a, is a bad idea. I mean, he's got power. He's going to have men on ahead of him. He doesn't get on base a ton, but he's got that power. And I think it's going to play very well at Comerica Park. Uh, that, that's how it would go with the top six. And then, you know, from there it's probably, you know, take your pick. But it's Avila and Ghost. Um, and then who am I missing? Uh, oh, uh, Castellanos. Oh, Avila. Yeah, and Castellanos, yeah, uh, in the bottom right. third. So probably right. Castellanos seventh, and then I, I'm guessing Ghost, uh, probably in the number nine spot, because so he, he can steal a base if he gets on. Right, right. Uh, some conversation, I know I've heard uh, some people saying, you know, Cespedes in the number two spot, and I'm not sure how, how, how I'm not wise that, that might at be. All. <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm just uh, it's not. an interesting I mean, he just idea. He doesn't get on base enough, but then again, the Tigers didn't have number two hitters who got on base last year, really. I mean, Torrey Hunter didn't when he was in the number two spot, uh, and Kinsler really didn't walk much uh, in the second half in the number two spot. Right. Neil, what would you say about that lineup? How would you order it? Uh, yes. I, so I think I'd, I'd go, you know, less conventional than than probably the Tigers are going to go. I would start with Kinsler, like he, uh, you know, he's been doing for for a long time, leading off, and then I'd you know, just put run up Cabrera in the number two spot. Uh, you know, he's the he's oh. the best hitter on the team. You want to get a lot of opportunities for him to hit. He's going to have Kinsler on base a lot. Uh, he's going to be, you know, getting more at bats than he would later down in the lineup. Uh, then I'd put Cespedes third. Um, because he's, it's a little bit less important than the number four spot, and he's got plenty of power that he can drive in the guys in front of him, uh, keep Victor in the number four spot, Martinez five, uh, then use Avila Castellanos six and seven, depending on the, the handedness, uh, and then go with Glacius eight and Ghost nine. Um, I think, you know, there's there's a move in the game. You've seen it a number of teams putting their best guys second. Uh, that's what the numbers say to do. I think it's a good opportunity to, to do it now that they don't have somebody who, like, fits any sort of traditional role in the two spot. Uh, something else I might actually try and do, 
it's a hard sell for a lot of people. Uh, but against right-handed pitching, I might try Avila second. He's got a terrific on-base percentage, a terrific guy against righties. Um, he's going to play, you know, more against righties than he will against lefties. Um, and you just, you know, he doesn't have the wheels you need, you know, at the top of the lineup sometimes. Right. But all of those times on base ahead of Cabrera and Martinez and Martinez and Cespedes would just be, it seems like there's a lot of runs to be added there. Just getting a guy who can get on base, you know, 38, 39% of the time or something against a, a right-handed pitcher, it might be a good idea. I don't know how much he'll give away with the with his feet, um, but I might try that as well. Yeah, yeah that's no, an interesting point about point, the sir. speed. He, he just doesn't go first to third at all. I mean, uh, and he, how much do you, how much does that matter in that number two spot? I think it matters a, a fair amount. But I mean, your point about getting on is, I think that's that's the key point. I want a guy in that number two spot and get on base. Mm-hmm. Well, and unfortunately, that's that's kind of been the problem. I think with you know, he does have a good on base percentage, but you know, he has been batting so low in the lineup that he doesn't necessarily have the opportunity of you know run producers behind him to to bring him around. Right. Right. Like a, a lot of Avila's on-base percentage has been kind of wasted, so to speak, uh, in years past. Um, let's shift the discussion just slightly then to the to the rotation. I wanted to get into this a little bit. And uh, Neil, my um, absolute condolences on the loss of Rick Porcello. I know he was a huge hero of yours. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, I know it was a dark day in the in the Weinberg it, household when the, it, it was Porcello it was traded. <laughs> Uh, so uh, the question I had then is I'm hearing more and more talk about Shane Green and his comparison to Rick Porcello in terms of, you know, their pitching style, ground ball pitcher, this kind of thing. I watched a couple of games from the archives from last year uh, that, that Green pitched. I do see a lot of the same kind of pitch movement, but I was curious to find out, you know, what do their, what do their peripheral numbers say? Is that comparison really a valid one? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's, it's a little bit of people stretching to say, you know, Shane Green is kind of in a Rick Porcello mode. Um, you know, he does, he gets a good amount of ground balls, or at least he has in the major leagues. He offers, you know, similar kinds of focus on a two-seam type fastball, sinker, slider type stuff uh, with a new curveball and everything like that. So there's some similarities there. Um, but really his style is much more going to focus on strikeouts than Porcello ever did. Even as Porcello, you know, increased his strikeout rate, you know, later on in his career, uh, a little more in the strikeouts department from Green. He throws harder on average. He's going to walk more guys. You know, Porcello was a really low walk guy. That was kind of his calling card. So I wouldn't really put him in the same category if you're looking at the peripheral numbers. But I think Green can be quite good. Uh, he flashed some really impressive stuff, you know, in 2014. He manhandled the Tigers a couple of times when he got a chance to do so. And uh, especially, you know, people who saw him pitch in New York, uh, I know Brandon McCarthy who pitched with him, uh, for a few months at least down the stretch in New York, uh, said he was, you know, Green was working on a changeup that he thought was turning into a tremendous pitch. We didn't see it a lot in 2014. It was new. He was toying with it. If that turns out to be as good as, you know, McCarthy and others have said it is, you know, from looking at him, uh, you know, he looks like a guy who can continue to strike out nine or ten guys per nine innings. Uh, and if you can do that with a walk rate, that, walk rate that's average or so and his kind of ground ball rate, He's going to be a really effective pitcher. I wouldn't put him in the, you know, as a Porcello type pitcher. You know, Porcello looks more like a guy like Doug Fister than he does like Shane Green. Um, different styles, you know, in general, even if they throw the same kind of pitches. Um, but I think he can be, you know, not necessarily a replacement, but a guy who can step in and be a solid, you know, innings eater the way Porcello was, with the potential to have those runs of really excellent performance uh, for a few starts at a time. Yeah, it seems like I mean, he's really got a chance to. I mean, with the with the strikeouts and the power arm, I mean, the upside 
to me is really intriguing. I think you mentioned Brandon McCarthy. I mean, his quote was, he has stupid electric stuff. <laughs> you know, you yes, see many pictures right. say that. You know, and Brandon McCarthy's stuff was pretty amazing in the second half of last year after the trade. So it seems to me there is that upside that might be uh, surprisingly high upside uh, with Shane Green. And that's I'm very intrigued to see what he does over 30 starts, assuming he stays healthy. Yes, and certainly getting that uh, that's high praise coming from Brandon McCarthy and the things that we saw from him last year. Uh, once again, this is uh, Dan Dickerson and Neil Weinberg we're talking with here on the Bless You Boys podcast, if you're just tuning in. Um, Dan, let's shift over to the other uh, rotation acquisition. Uh, Alfredo Simon, the Tigers picked up from the Reds in the offseason. We know he had an all-star first half last year and then kind of took a nosedive in the second half. And so I was curious to find out, in your opinion, what, what made him so good in the first half? And is that something that he can duplicate for the Tigers on a consistent basis in 2015? Yeah, I think the, the, I mean, the durability, some people pointed to, but he ended up pitching well, well over 200 innings, or right around 200 innings, I believe it was. So, I mean, I think he's clearly shown he can be durable. He hadn't done that in a while. And really, if you look at kind of the underlying stuff, I mean, his the walks – Picked up a little bit, uh, a few more hits dropped. Uh, he really wasn't a, a different pitcher in the second half. Just a few things contributed to a higher ERA. Um, I look, I like looking at Ron Sandler's, the way that he looked at things, hit percentage is what he calls it, which is basically batting average on balls in play, hit percentage, strand percentage, and home runs for fly ball. Uh, those are all things that um, year to year have affected uh, Simon's performance he's been mostly a reliever probably more effective as a reliever I'm intrigued by the fact that his fastball average fastball still as a starter was still 94 um and the guy who gets you know power arm gets ground balls I mean I'm not going to oversell the guy but I'm kind of intrigued to see what um what he might do in the second year as a starter did last year's take a toll on him or can maybe you even get more out of I mean that that's a power arm there just aren't many guys with an average fastball of 94 we get a lot of ground balls, and I'm kind of intrigued to see if there's maybe even a little more upside. Track record would say it's 34, probably not, and yet that's not a right. bad back into the rotation arm. No, it's definitely not, and that's definitely a power arm that you're talking about. I remember uh, seeing the pitch speeds clocked at 95 and 96, and then he would back down and throw this ridiculous 76-mile-an-hour curveball for his swing in this <laughs> pitch. Uh, Neil, what do you think about Simon coming in? What are we going to see from him? Yeah, I have to say I'm, not, I'm probably not quite as intrigued or optimistic as Dan might be or as, as someone might be. Uh, you know, he had a good first half last year. If you take out that first half last year, there's really nothing on his resume that tells you he's anything much better than a you know a solid you know reliever, middle reliever type pitcher. He had a really good first half. The numbers were great, but it was you know really propped up by a 2.32 bat of uh, batting average on balls in play. In the second half, that was 3.09. And kind of all of the games sort of vanished. He was pitching in front of a tremendous uh, set of middle infielders, and Zach Cozart and Brandon Phillips. Uh, you've got a great center fielder and Billy Hamilton out in Cincinnati. I'm just not really buying him as a you know high quality starting pitcher. He seems. I think he's a guy who can be durable for you. Um, but when you throw that hard and, and don't strike batters out, it's usually an indication that you have a difficult time spotting your pitches or you're not mixing your off-speed stuff well. At his age, I don't really think there's anywhere for him to go forward. Uh, he had a good first half, but I don't think that's the kind of thing that he's it's sustainable or anything like that. I think he's, you know, at number five starter, 
at best, but probably somebody who's better served in the bullpen. Uh, you know, especially with, you know, 94 miles an hour, 95 miles an hour, and, and that, you know, sort of splitter change-up type thing that he throws. I'd like to see that out of the pen uh, rather than in the rotation, but for now they're going to have to see how he does in that five spot. Yeah, no, that fastball, as you said, he does seem to have some uh, some command issues. I went back and watched a couple of his games from the archive last year, and that certainly stood out. The fastball was hot, but it was not always accurate. Um Shifting topics one more time, because uh, I know we're we're running a little bit uh, short on time, and I know Dan, you wanted to get out of here in a, at a decent uh, uh, decent time, so I wanted to get to get, get the opinion from from both of you. Um, we've heard some things going on uh, in terms of Major League Baseball possibly introducing the pitch clock as a way to speed up the pace of the games. Dan, I'll start with you. What do you think about having the pitchers on the clock? <laughs> Uh, not feeling it. <laughs> I think I'm not okay. feeling it at all. I don't think there'll ever be a clock. I hope not. Um, but having said that, um, I mean, pace of play, I, I think you could easily trim 15 minutes off a given game. Um, you know, Jim Leland always made the point that if it's, it's kind of like a movie, you don't complain about how long a movie is if it's a good movie. I would right. disagree with that to this extent. Sometimes, the pace of a game is affected by guys constantly stepping out the time between pitches. And if you just move it along, or think of Doug Fister, how good he was. He'd get the ball ready to go. You just felt, I mean, it was a better game oftentimes. The defense seemed better because they're more alert. Uh, there was just a good feel and flow to the game. It can't be all on the umpires to, you know, enforce the rules that are on the books. You see that, and you're like, well, they tried that a couple of times, and they just got barbecued <laughs> when they tried Ooh, to enforce yeah. it. And one game was uh, involved with Tigers. I want to say it was Rafael Betancourt. Um, it has to be a concerted effort where the players' union is on board, um, and the players are on board. In other words, they, hey, guys, this, this is a, we've made this a priority. We really think we can take 15 to 20 minutes off the average length of a game if we do these things. If you guys are in there ready to hit, step out once in a while, of course. That's part of the game, part of disrupting the uh, pitcher's rhythm. But it doesn't have to be after every pitch. And these are the benefits if we do that. You know, maybe television, you can prove that television ratings are going to go up, that you're going to, whatever it is. I, I think it's a better game when it moves along a little, a little more quickly. I don't think a clock is the answer, but I do think you can do it. But it has to be a concerted effort involving the players' union plus you know, management plus umpires. It has, it, you can't just put it on the umpires and say have them enforce the time limit that's on the books, which isn't a very uh, – it's not a very good guide either. I think it's 12 seconds after the pitcher has the ball and is ready to pitch and the batter is in the batter's box ready to hit. Well, that's – you're never going to call that. <laughs> no, no, that's I mean, arbitrary at best. But coming at it from your perspective as a broadcaster who's got to call these games, does the idea of shortened games appeal to you? Shorter games, yeah. Yeah, I just think, yeah. and sometimes you've got a slugfest and it's a blast. Let's face it, people do like <laughs> offense. I mean, there's no yeah. question about that, but we're entering into an age where there's less and less offense. I think it's astounding that five years ago, teams averaged 104 runs more per season than they are now. That's a pretty big drop in five years. So now it's fewer runs per game. There is less offense, and yet the games are getting longer. Now, that's to me, that doesn't quite add up. 
Um, I do think it's, uh, it's a pace more than anything else, not necessarily the length, but, I mean, this is what you get to. You get shorter games if the pace is better, meaning guys aren't stepping out as much, meaning fewer pitching changes. I don't know if you can legislate that or not. Fewer visits to the mound. Um, there are some things you can do. Um, but, I mean, th- there is a different feel. You get a 245 game that's a 4-3 game, well played, and you're like, wow, that, that was a quick game. It just there's a better feel to it. I don't know how else to describe it. Uh, I don't know how yeah, fans yeah, feel, but I, I would feel. think, yeah, a 2-1, 3-hour and 20-minute game to me is uh, – that's absurd sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and it wears on the vocal cords to boot. Neil, I want to get your opinion on this, but Dan, I, I did promise you I would uh, keep you within the 25-minute window oh, there. So, a few more uh, okay, great. Then uh, in that case, I'll, I'll, I'll turn it over to, uh, to Neil and ask you the same question. What do you think about the pitch clock? Is that the best way to yeah, start think- these games? Yeah, I think I'm generally in agreement with Dan about don't like the idea of a clock um, because I think what a clock will do is create a sense of sort of anxiety and, like, tension about are they going to get the pitch off in time and, like, there's gonna, they're going to put the clock on the screen. You know they're going to put the clock on the screen. It's going to be big, yeah. you know, displayed on the field, and there's gonna be, we're going to pay too much <laughs> attention to it, and it's going to distract from what's going on. Right, exactly. It's what I like about... <laughs> What I like about baseball relative to the other sports is sort of the pace of it relative to other things. You get there's a pitch, there's a rhythm, you go through this, these motions. You pay attention for a second, you can glance away, you can talk to somebody. There's this discussion that happens either in your head or on Twitter or with the person sitting next to you. It's not constantly like, I love hockey, but when you're watching hockey, like it's happening every second, and then there's a whistle and you nothing happens for 10 seconds, and then it's happening constantly. I like the rhythm that goes on. I do think they should make some sort of effort to tighten up the time between pitches. It's It's been going up you know, quite a bit over the last few years, relatively speaking. Uh, just keeping batters from stepping out of the box for long periods of time, keeping pitchers from doing sort of the circle around the mound kind of thing that you see. You know, the Jose Valverde, Josh Beckett, Clay Buckholz kind of thing where they take a lot of time between pitches. I don't think you need to speed it up too much. It's just a little bit. You know, Dan mentioned the feel thing. It's really just about the feel. The batter, they take a step out of the box, but they don't walk out of the circle, adjust their batting gloves, do all those kind of things. You just need to tighten that up a little bit, and I think it'll move uh, better in general. One thing that I would, you know, stress, I think a lot of people are focusing on the penalty we could, you know, put in place to get guys to move faster, to say, hey, this is what we want to do. If you don't do it in this time, it's a ball, it's a strike, etc. I think there should be some kind of incentive for the players, you know, whether it's like the average time they, they spend between pitches or the kind of things like the average game time, like incentivize the players and the players association to move more quickly, give them some sort of rewards, uh, you know, some share of, of some, you know, financial pot, something that goes on there uh, to incentivize them to do so. Because I think the big problem we have here in, in the length of games and speeding up games is that, you know, from a fan perspective, from a viewer perspective, you don't want to spend three hours and 20 minutes watching something that really should only take two hours and 50 minutes. But the players, this is their livelihood. There's so much money on the line. You want to be prepared for every pitch the way you need to be. They're not in a hurry, and some people watching are in a hurry. Um, So to break that, you know, problem, you need to incentivize them to move a little faster. Um, But I think the pitch clock just causes more problems because maybe it'll tighten up the game, but it'll make it feel less like baseball. It'll go too far in the other direction. Uh, And that just strikes me the wrong way. 
and I'm trying to envision how the uh, how the stats books will have to be updated to allow for a clock index on players' performances. <laughs> uh, and just one more question for you before I let you go, because the yeah. super nerd contingent of our audience wanted to know, they wanted to know, how does Dan Dickerson feel about FIP versus XFIP? Which one do you prefer? Um, I actually prefer XERA, which is Ron Chandler's, he's the baseball forecaster. I love that book. I just love the way he looks at player performance and, as he calls it, the underlying uh, skills uh, behind uh, your basic numbers. But I found that XERA, which, again, is just Ron Chandler's uh, version of ERA, expected ERA based on what you have allowed, is very similar to FIP. And I probably – I haven't seen XFIP as much as FIP. So if you're asking me between the two, I'd probably just go with FIP because it does seem to mirror quite closely XERA, uh, which, which I think is a very valuable tool. I mean, if you look at, for instance, look at uh, Alfredo uh, Simon's first half, second half, his expected ERA, and the, and the two ERAs are what? I think two runs different. Uh, his expected ERA was uh, less than half a run difference. In other words, he was fortunate in the first half and maybe a little unlucky in the second half. Um, and I, there is great value in either one of those. I just happen to prefer the Ron Chandler one, but I, I do think there is value in that because it does tell you the effect of defense, uh, a good defense, how much it helps the pitcher, and how much a pitcher can be harmed by bad defense. I think it's, it's a very valuable tool. Well, there it is, folks. You heard it here. Dan Dickerson prefers XERA, and uh, I'm hoping that we'll, we'll hear that kind of worked into the conversation of a future broadcast uh, on Tigers Radio in 2015. So, Dan, I appreciate so much you're taking the extra time today. Uh, thank you so much for coming back on the show. We'd love to have you back again uh, as the season progresses. Uh, best of luck in Lakeland, and um, looking forward to uh, – I know we all are looking forward to hearing you on the radio for some of those spring training games. Enjoyed the conversation, Hook, and Neil, good talking with you as well. All right. And, Neil, um, not to cut you out of the conversation, but uh, <laughs> the same the same, the same, question uh, for you. FIP or XFIP? Yeah, I think one of the things that I stress a lot, uh, you know, in sort of my, my fan graphs, uh, library sabermetric glossary work, is that it's really about picking the right statistic for the question that you have. And I think both fielding independent pitching FIP and uh, expected fielding independent pitching XFIP uh, are both really good, but they're trying to get at different questions. So it depends what you care about. If you care about how well you think the pitcher actually performed over the course of a number of innings or a season or whatever, you know, FIP is what you want to use because he allowed the home runs, he gave them up. That's, you know, the big difference between the two statistics is how many home runs he gave up versus how many fly balls he gave up and then based on how many home runs you think he should have given up. If, you know, looking right. backwards, fielding independent pitching FIP, that's what I would go with. Um, but if I want to say, hey, you know, is this the kind of guy who I think is going to continue to allow a lot of home runs in the future? Is this a problem for him? You know, XFIP is the place you jump to. That's the kind of the key thing. Uh, if this is a guy who's a, you know, he allows a lot of fly balls, uh, you know, his XFIP is going to really, you know, you're going to be able to see that in the XFIP. This is a guy who might allow a lot of home runs relative to, you know, a guy who doesn't allow many fly balls but happen to allow a few too many to go over the fence. Uh, so it's one's really about looking back, one's really about looking forward. Uh, they're both really good tools. You should use them in conjunction with each other. You should use them in comparison to ERA and things like that. Uh, you know, I don't like to say which one's for a good reason. Okay. 
And so one final question before I let you go, in, in terms of coming into the 2015 season, what's the one thing that kind of excites you the most? What's what's the thing you're looking forward to, to watching, whether it's the rotation or the defense or a particular player? What what do you like coming into 2015? I mean, I think there's there's a lot to like. There's some things about the team that aren't quite as good as they have been in the past, but I'm really excited to get a chance to see Jose Iglesias day in and day out. I think Dan made mention of that. Uh, you know, we got to see a little bit of taste back in 2013 of that and then nothing in 2014. Uh, he is a tremendous defensive player. We've seen a few amazing plays from him. We've seen the range. I really want to see what the Tigers look like with an elite defensive shortstop day in and day out. I don't I don't necessarily agree with this position, but someone I, someone I really trust said to me two years ago that Iglesias is a better defender than uh, Andrelton Simmons, which is a crazy thing to say. He's you know the best shortstop in baseball, you know pretty pretty clearly. But to, for someone to say that, someone respectable to say that, uh, you have a real sense of the kind of impact he can have. And looking back, I mean Johnny Peralta. I'm a, I was a big fan of Peralta, and I think he was an underrated defensive player. Uh, you know, but. Even going back, the Tigers haven't had a great defensive defensive shortstop since like Adam Everett, who was there for a year. You know, it was they haven't had that guy in the middle of the in the middle of a field in a long time. You know, back way back, probably we're going back towards Alan Trammell until we've seen a you know a, a guy who is really so steady at shortstop. Uh, I want to see how that plays out for the team. I want to see how that affects Castellanos, uh, the way Dan mentioned, and you put him in Kinsler, who's a good defensive second baseman out there. Uh, it could be a lot of fun to watch. Uh, and I'm also really looking forward to, I can't imagine a situation where it would be necessary, but a Cespedes to Iglesias relay to the plate seems like it would get there in record time. <laughs> so I want to see that too. Yes. Um, but I think that's that's what I'm most looking forward to this year. Yeah, I, I would have to agree. I've been saying for a few months now, just the, the uh, to be able to see the, the up-the-middle combination of Kinsler and Iglesias, uh, you, you have to wonder if any ground balls are ever going to get through that middle section of the infield ever again. So yeah, we, we could be looking at a combo. We could be looking at a combo that we haven't seen since the days of Whitaker and Trammell. Very much looking forward yeah. to that. Yes. So Neil, thank you so much for taking the time with us today, and uh, best of luck with your upcoming transition. And uh, we'll be looking forward <laughs> to maybe catching up with you. Come see me sometime. We'll go to the Whitecaps game together. Yeah, definitely. Let's do that. All right. Thanks, Neil. Take care. Take care. All right, and that is just about going to wrap things up for us today on this episode of the Bless You Boys podcast. Thanks again to our special guests, Dan Dickerson and Neil Weinberg. You can find them online. Dan Dickerson's on Twitter at Dan underscore Dickerson and Neil Weinberg on Twitter at Neil Weinberg 44, also at NewEnglishD.com. Be sure to tune in next week. I'll be chatting with Bless You Boys staff writer John Ercolo. We're going to be talking about Brad Osmus and the Tigers competition in the AL Central and lots more. So join us here next week at the same time and place. Until then, keep counting down the days. Spring training will be here before you know it. And we'll see you next week on the Bless You Boys podcast. There's never been a corner like Michigan and Trumbull. Ha ha ha, that'll get him out of the old ballpark.